Hello and welcome to another In Conference with Michael Jackson right here on your favorite podcast platform. This is cliffcentral.com. I'm a conference speaker who speaks around the world and because of that I'm privileged to meet some of the most amazing people who grace stages all across the planet. So we thought here at Cliff Central it would be an amazing thing for you to get a bit of a behind the scenes look as well. So you get to meet on this program authors, entrepreneurs, business people, all kinds of really exceptional people who do some amazing thing on a so-called public platform. I'm also very fond of homegrown South African talent. My guest on this podcast is no exception to that. Joining us on Skype now from somewhere in the wilds of Cape Town is the very well-known, much-loved and respected comedian Alan Committee, who I've had the pleasure of sharing a stage with on numerous occasions. This guy is absolutely awesome, but I figured we'd want to know a little bit more about the man himself. He makes us laugh, but how did he start doing that? Where did it all come from? Let's find out now as we meet the man himself. Alan, lovely to have you with us on the show. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you, Michael. I feel like a field reporter on one of those exclusive CNN broadcasts. I'm reporting to you from the heart of Cape Town, from the very crotch of the southern suburbs here in Tukai, beautiful Tukai, forested Tukai. Is that where you hang out when you're not gracing stages all across the planet? <laughs> yes, I, oh, that's very kind of you. All across the planet I like. Um, yeah, I suppose this is home. This is home. Uh, and I wish sometimes I spent a little bit more time here. But it is a, it's a great place to come back to uh, when all is a little bit quiet or you need a little, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, seclusion and, uh, and away time from the mad crowds. Where did it all begin for you? How did it all start? You know, what made you wake up one morning and go, stuff this, I'm going to be a comedian for the rest of my yeah. life? Well, to be fair, it happened at a very young age. I, I was about five or six when, uh, now this is going to upset some of the listeners and, and they need to brace themselves, but I grew up in a beautiful part of the world called Thunderbell Park. Mm, uh, glorious, yeah. lovely sunsets. Yes, it'll be lovely when they finish it. And um, <laughs> I... I uh, and, and at that part, in that part of the world, Boswell Wilkie Circus, remember when they still used to travel extensively, they came to town and I remember seeing them and watching the clowns on stage and, and being absolutely mesmerized. And a kind of literally a couple of weeks later, I, I declared quite proudly to my folks that that's something I might want to do is to become a clown. Uh, they, uh, they were very kind and that they let me have that uh, dream and passion for a number of years. And then in about, I was about 11 when I finally said, I think it's time that I left home because my understanding is that you have to leave home. To become a clown, you had to run away to join a circus. At that point, my parents became a little more concerned and kind of suggested that maybe other avenues in relation to the entertainment industry might be more appealing. Uh, so really, kind of early years in primary school, I was you know, kind of set on being an actor, maybe not necessarily in comedy, but it's certainly always kind of the idea of trying to make people laugh. By have the time you, I got to, have you yeah. always been naturally funny? Um, I, I kind of used comedy. I think this is true of a lot of comics. I used comedy as a way of, of getting around socially when I was young. So it was either to diffuse arguments or, you know, uh, kind of strange social groupings that happen when you're young or, of course, to appeal to people. Yeah, I, I, I guess. Yeah, I love making people laugh. And I, uh, and, I, and I did it really often. So I would say, yeah, I guess I did make people laugh and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Was that because you were an ugly child? A very, very ugly child. The ugliest child. 
Uh, and that's changed now because I'm now an ugly adult. So obviously, I'm, you know, that's, it's good that there's progress. I love it because, uh, I mean, people often say to me, you know, you've got such a great voice or a great face for radio, hence this podcast platform. But my wife often says to me, you know, if you were better looking, you'd have been unstoppable. <laughs> She's lovely, your wife, she is. Um, by the time I got to Standard 5, I was very – and I said to my folks, I'd study, which I knew I was going to study acting. And then as a, as a backup, I, I – uh, Already at the age of 13, I decided I would become a teacher, which is exactly what I did. I, I studied, uh, got my teacher's diploma and taught part-time for about six years before finally kind of, you know, uh, letting that slide and, and entering the, the full-time professional comedy arena, as it were. You know, it's an interesting thing for me. I, I made the transition from a successful career as a strategist in advertising. So presenting strategy was a natural extension for me to get onto the stage and talk wow. about change and trends and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, from being a teacher into, you know, I, I get the fact that you always had this desire to make people yeah. laugh. Um, what, what physically made that transition happen for you, though? What, what made you wake up one morning and go, goodbye teaching profession, I'm going to work no, full time on stage? It's always, it was always the plan. So the teaching was really a means to an end. And, and now with hindsight, I don't think as conscious as perhaps some people might assume. Uh, with hindsight, I go, it was a brilliant strategy to do that because the teaching gave me a couple of uh, advantages. One, uh, as small as the salary was, it was a steady salary and one that I wouldn't necessarily enjoy as a performer. Uh, so I had a steady salary. I managed to save. I was able to produce my first stand-up shows with minimal fuss uh, after a number of years of teaching. Uh, but it also gave me a, an opportunity to work with small groups and to learn reading crowds, manipulating crowds, uh, understanding audiences. Um, and, of course, the third possible or uh, kind of, I think, uh, um, advantage of that was it was that I suddenly had a built-in audience that would later come and support me. So even today, 20-odd years later, I'm seeing the children of people that I once taught back at Westerford or at Herschel, um, you know, still coming to enjoy. And and although they might have been a small group in relation to the kind of people who now follow me, they I needed them as a core starting point, as it were. So yeah. all of that, it's it just a good start for me in terms of entering a career. Do you get nervous before you go on stage? Um, I, I get adrenalized. Uh, I, I certainly feel... Uh, a little bit in the in the in the tummy. If I know people of some importance to me are in, whether they people that I want to impress or loved ones or whatever, I might be a little bit more nervous. But I have learned over the years to 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 change that or manipulate that nervous energy into kind of performance adrenaline. You know what intrigues me is that there there are probably some three thousand professional, and I mean by that full time speakers around the world. I guess right. there must be a lot fewer comedians who earn their living full time from comedy. Um. Well, unless you go to the Edinburgh Festival, as I did three years ago, and I suddenly felt like all the comedians in the world had gathered that year. I think there were 714 comedians on that festival. So in other words, 714 comics performing every single day. Wow. And uh, a lot of them were kind of top UK TV comics. You know, you had Bill Bailey um, uh, and, and the like, Jimmy Carr, Alan Carr. And, and I mean, even I was going, I wouldn't watch me. I'd rather go and watch them. So. But but you're right. In relation to to the bigger you know to the bigger picture, uh, I suppose there's a limited amount. In this country, we're very lucky in that there's been a huge explosion of stand-up comedy in the last 20 years. I would suggest, and certainly uh, incrementally so in the last five or six years. And 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 that and that, and yet there's still enough work for everyone because our country is such a breadth of unbelievable varying cultures and languages uh, and audience types that uh, you know you need all different kinds of comics to appeal to everyone. So. I feel like if you can build your brand and, and, and create a niche for yourself, there's still space for you to have work 
even though there's a there's a kind of increase in the number of comics out there. It's intriguing. I remember speaking to Deborah Patter once, who's also a speaker as well as being a broadcast and well-known journalist. And she right. said, if you want to be a journalist, you want to be a journalist in South Africa because of that, exactly what you've said. There is a wealth of information for you to be able to draw stories from. Do you find the same thing when you're planning your shows and planning your content and material? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I'm not a political uh, animal as such. Uh, it's certainly not. I mean, I might be. I'm certainly more as a uh, in my personal capacity. But I, on stage, my brand has been very much kind of family entertainer, and and that was a conscious choice many years ago. Because, well, I, you know, I wasn't silly about it. I thought I'd rather have the the grandchildren and the grandparents join the families, uh, uh, you know, in coming to watch the show. That feels like more bums on seats and 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 more lucrative ultimately. Mm. So that was a. If that sounds cynical, it, it also just meant that I. You know, it just meant I could play to a bigger crowd. And but having said that, so so my brand is very specific. I don't swear on stage. I'm not too edgy in terms of politics or uh, or the kind of uh, nature of the or the content. But having said that, this country does offer all kinds of amazing possibilities. Not only politically, although obviously that is a is a primary focus. We 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 are a fantastic nation in terms of the way we see and look and deal with things. And a prime example of that is any crisis that hits our country. For example, load shedding. We go through that immediate manic initial response of panic and, ah, oh, what is going on? And that's it. We're all leaving to, oh, we can do this. And, and then months later, it's like it's never happened. And we've found, we've MacGyvered our way, you know, through the problem. And we're, we're doing it as if it's, it was never an issue in the first place. And we do that every single time. And it is extraordinary. But it does make for some fun material. And how kind of ESCOM to put a torch on the load shedding app that we all carry on our phones. I, am, I think we're all grateful for ESCOM. They really are a wonderful organization. How often do you work, Alan? I mean, you know, do you still get people coming up to you and saying, look, I know you're a comedian, but what's your real job? Right. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I suppose I've kind of got fingers in all kinds of pies. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a corporate speaker, as you know, and, and, and I take my entertainment into that area. There I sell myself more as a, either a facilitator or a comic MC. you know, working with conferences throughout the day. Uh, making notes of speakers and then doing a kind of comic version of what they've heard all day at the end mm. of the day. So that's quite fun to do. Uh, I obviously can do a straight 40 or 50 minutes stand-up set. But my big uh, kind of joy and pleasure, if you will, is is doing runs of shows, obviously, because in that there's a there's a – I think you learn stuff about the material and about yourself. For example, I, I had the pleasure of playing Defending the Caveman for 947 performances yeah. of a period of eight years and, and my own stand-up shows, I've done 16 of them. Uh, there's a new one coming up at the end of the year. So those runs, which tend to be anything from six to eight weeks in length in any one city, that takes up a lot of time. There was a period, I would say two years ago, where for three or four years, I was performing anything upwards of 270 nights a year. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I've, I've deliberately slowed that down a little bit because, A, traveling is extremely uh wearing on the body and mind, as you will well know. Everyone uh, thinks not, it's glamorous, but it's far from that. It's far from that. So it is nice to just be either, you know, in any one city at one time for a little bit longer. And, uh, and two, just because it's nice to take a little rest and, uh, and, and to get you know, inspired by other things. And, and my other thing that I'm now doing is traveling a little bit more, taking my work I, I did for a while to Los Angeles and New York. And at the moment, I'm focusing on the UK. So I've done a couple of pantomimes in the UK in the last three years. Uh, and I'm off now to the UK for a, for a while to do some some gigs over there, uh, and not necessarily to make it in the tech, you know in the technical sense, but really just to kind of spread wings, see other what makes other people laugh. And what it does do is when I come home, I feel a little sharper, a little more inspired, 
because I think you can reach a ceiling here uh, in the sense that uh, a, a comic friend of mine used to use the phrase, you know, sometimes you stop hearing the laughter. And, and, and I don't want to get to that point where it all just feels the same, the same, the same. So it's good to kind of challenge yourself every now and then. What would you say to someone listening to this podcast right now thinking, I really admire people like Alan for you know doing what he's done, going out, delivering, working against the dream. Here am I, stuck in a dead-end job, but I've got a passion for something else. Any advice for those listeners? Well, uh, you know, the, the first step is always the hardest, and, and it is it's somehow finding that, that impulse within you to take that first step. And, and sometimes that step is a little leap. And sometimes it's a much smaller step than you think it is to, 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 to make that movement towards the dream, you know, realization. So, you know, for stand up comics, I, I often get youngsters coming and saying, you know, I, I, I'm the funny guy around the bri or I'm the funny guy at the party. What do I have to do? Well, what you have to do is get up in front of a, of a group of strangers, not your friends, and you've got to see if they'll laugh or not. And you take a little risk there because they might not. But even if they don't, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not bad. The, the, the intriguing thing when you listen to comics is they will tell you when they speak of their first performance is that they knew it has nothing to do with whether they got laughs or not. It's the feeling they had when they walked off that stage. If they came off that stage and thought, I have to do that again, then they do and, and they continue to do. If they come off and go, that was absolutely awful, I will never do that again, well, then there's the answer. But it's an intrinsic built-in impulse in you. And and, and you'll note as well in terms of this is, is an unbelievably strange and it's, it's intangible almost, but that feeling you get, that gratification, that affirmation, that wonderful feeling you get from a crowd, whether they're laughing or clapping or sitting intently and listening to you, that's an amazing feeling. And it's a, it's a little drug in a weird way that if you've got that need, you, you've got to keep making sure that it's fed. Oh, and it's a very addictive drug, and it's one of the best ones you can ever get into, I guess. I, I fully concur with that. Have you ever walked off to the sound of your own footsteps, though, and thought, oh, oh gosh. Oh, of course. Of course. If I didn't, I'd be nervous. I mean, I think we learn a lot. Some, you know, I mean, the obvious uh, saying or platitude is you learn more from the mistakes or, or the bad gigs than you do from the good ones. I think what makes a good speaker, comedian, performer is is not, you know, how well you do on the stage. It's whether you are able to analyze or understand what went right and what and what went wrong. You know, so if you can come off stage and went, well, that was great. That was a bit slow. That was a gag that needs some work. That, that, it didn't work because of the audience doing that or I, because I did that. As long as you understand and can, and, and you can analyze that, then I think you'll become better at what you do. It's when you come off and go, well, that was fantastic. And everyone's looking at you thinking, wow, we didn't think so. I think then you're, you know, you're, you're up against it. And after all those years of experience, I'm glad you didn't join Boswell Wilkie Circus, by the way, because you are an incredibly well-crafted professional. Amongst your global travels, when people are thinking, how do I get hold of Alan for one of my corporate gigs? He's the right kind of comedian for me. What's the best way right. for people to reach you? Uh, I, I would think the obvious way is, is through my email address, uh, which is giggle, as in laugh, G-I-G-G-L-E, and my name at Alan Committee, A-L-A-N-C-O-M-M-I-T-T-I-E, I-E, I'm not E-E, uh, dot C-O dot Z-A. So giggle at alancommittee.coza, or you can find me on Twitter at Alan Committee. Oh, I didn't, that, that ended, that didn't end as I wanted it to end. It felt yes. like it was more There was sentence. a pregnant pause there for a moment. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Just Google the man, Alan Committee, C-O-M-M-I-T-T-I-E. You can't go wrong. That's 
and really, you know, time is short and it's always against us. And I really appreciate you getting up at, you know, this ungodly hour of the afternoon to be on my live podcast now. Um, but it's, it's a joy having you. And I really wanted to wish you all the success into the future. Every time I see you on stage, I have nothing but the utmost admiration, whether it's defending the caveman, which made me laugh all the way through the second time I saw it as well, or just doing what you do in the corporate shtick. More power to your elbow, sir. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, sir. I promise you the feeling is mutual, uh, and, and it's great chatting to you. Thank you. All right. All the very best. So those are the words of Alan Committee. Take that leap of faith. It's sometimes a very small step, and he really is an awesome person to get hold of. Brilliant entertainer, MC, facilitator, or just go and catch one of his live shows, whatever you do. That's the kind of person that you get to meet here on in conference with Michael Jackson on Cliff Central. That's why we're back live with you every Tuesday afternoon and podcast availability 24-7-365. From Alan and myself, thank you for listening to this podcast. It's been a pleasure being with you. Thanks very much, and we're done. Cliff Central. The revolution. I've got something important to tell you.